This special episode of A Gay and a Non-Gay contains strong language, themes of HIV, AIDS and sex. I also think it's really important to point out that you should not take anything that we say as medical advice as we might say things wrong and are only putting out this episode to raise more awareness and talk about the feelings that we have about World AIDS Day. A gay and a non-gay. Two unlikely friends take on the world. Hi, welcome to A Gay and a Non-Gay. It's me, Dan Hudson, and him, James Barr. Yep, and after talking about World AIDS Day on our podcast this week and realising that Dan didn't know what it was, we thought we'd dig a bit deeper on HIV and AIDS. Um, yes, yeah, so we're currently in James's bedroom. Yes. Um, what... Why, why are we here? Well, I often bring guys back. Um, <laughs> Do you bring many non-gays back? Uh, no, I haven't no. really brought a non-gay back. You are the first. Oh, no, I had my stepdad over. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't sleep with him either. Um, and right. so uh, we're in my bedroom because we're about to go and meet a listener to our podcast called Christian, who has messaged us. And actually, he lives around the corner. So I thought this was a good place to meet. Yeah, so we're going to chat to him about what it's like to be HIV positive. That's right. And then um, a bit later on, I'm I'm basically taking Dan out on a field trip. We're going to meet uh, John Benjamin Hickey, who is the star of uh, a play currently on in the West End called The Inheritance, which is genuinely amazing. Um, yeah. And it's all about what we've inherited from the HIV crisis in the 80s. And then we're also going to chat to Matt Kane, right, who is the former editor-in-chief of Attitude magazine. That's right. Uh, Matt's a really good friend of mine, and he's currently on prep, um, as am I. So we're going to talk about that and what that means. So, yeah, it's a little bit different from what we normally do. But, um, yeah, let's go. You got your oyster? Well, actually, can we not go just yet because it's raining and I don't want to ruin my hair? <laughs> so if we could just wait. <laughs> I might make us late, but I'd, it's, it's, it's raining. It's going to be a long day. Hi, my name's Christian. I am a marketing manager. I'm from London. I am 50 million other things. I also happen to be positive. So you you heard our podcast, right? Yeah. What made you contact us and what made you want to talk to us? Kind of the way that the setup, one thing, is very unique. It's, you know, you've got a gay guy and a non-gay. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> when you done a piece for World Day's Day last year and you spoke about prep and the whole NHS battle, and I think I messaged you, James, and just said, if you need someone who's HIV positive, hi. So when they told you that, mm -hmm. what did you think? I was like, yeah. oh, shit. Literally, I sat there and went, probably shouldn't do that food shop right now. <laughs> Like, I don't know, I just kind of, I wasn't aware of like the repercussions and how to deal with it and how to, you know, I didn't know anyone who was positive, so I didn't and wasn't able to kind of talk to anyone. So it was just, I felt really alone, like really, really alone. It's really interesting hearing that because like, I, I have no idea what that diagnosis feels like. Um, but I, as a gay person, know how scary it is to be worried that you might have it. And so it's... And I haven't really ever had the opportunity to speak to someone about what happens next, because mostly if your friend has it or someone around you has it, you're just supportive and you don't ask questions because it's it's almost like it's up to them whether they want to tell you something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But like in, this, in this situation, I feel like you've given us the power to ask you. Oh, ab <laughs> absolutely. I, I mean, feel yeah. really terrible about asking. <laughs> um, Fire away. Uh, so who gave it to you? 
If you, li- like, if you were to list the things of things you probably don't ask people, that's definitely one of them. Is it? Yeah, it's a like really why. bad stigma. It's just, it's just, I don't know. It's just like you just don't like it. That, that doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't look like. I mean, Dad laughs, but you're right, Dad. It's like you just I don't. I didn't know that you. That's not. fine. So we, it's, every day's a school day. How do you feel about how HIV and AIDS affected people in the eighties? And still does across the world where medication and money and, and, and stuff is different to where you're at. You have this sort of appreciation. It's, it's, I, don't, it's a, I think it's a bit like, you know, like Remembrance Sunday and whole, like, we remember those who died in the war. And as a result of that, our lives in the UK are pretty awesome. I think it's kind of like that. I think you've got to look at it in that perspective is that you look at those who died and, you know, and you kind of think... And those who the activists who kind of fought and you know got AZT got to the point where we are today with medication where you know it's no longer a death sentence and you're kind of like grateful even though you don't know them and I think that, yeah the best way to compare that is would be like people in the war yeah I mean it kind of was a war I guess yeah and still is really oh 100 percent it's it's crazy I mean like in the news today there was the um MP for Kemptown in Brighton um who's who stood up in parliament and came out about his status um, I don't know if you saw that at all yeah. but um it was really interesting because I you know one thing is never read the comments and I was there on the way home from work and I was like reading the comments <laughs> <laughs> I was like get involved all these people going oh you know Brighton of course he got it oh wonder how he got it again irrelevant no offense James I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that so what kind of p- things have you had happen to you in terms of stigma because I've heard gay people say horrific things or make horrific jokes about HIV and AIDS have you experienced that too my housemate, when I was diagnosed, she sat me down and she was like, so do you need your own cutlery drawer? Like literally, but like genuinely honest question. And I burst out laughing. So yeah, it varies. But stigma is very real. You still see it every day. We've done this video where we read out actual grinder responses um, of people after they'd like whoever right. they're speaking to said they're positive and it was things like oh you know just do yourself a favor and end it but i always think like that's where you get the worst the worst stigma i've got has been from other gay men it's not been from like straight people straight people are, like really like like intrigued and like enlightened and like they want to know more and like it's all like what can we do to help you mm-hmm. the gays are like all right just stay away from me <laughs> Yeah, but it's all internalised hate and shame and... I've read The Velvet Rage, so I'm very... <laughs> really? I'm, very I wasn't fam- aware. Yeah, very familiar <laughs> with all this. So you're talking to some school kids tomorrow. Yes. Um, I'm not gay, but we did get to talk about HIV. They made us watch about two minutes of Philadelphia, actually. Bizarrely. Um, what? <laughs> what two minutes? Uh, the bit where he's dying. <laughs> And they all come in, you know, when he's dying in, in his, on his deathbed and they all come in and say bye. That bit. The hospital scene. Yeah. But yeah, there was, there was no sort of mention of, they were never going to bring in someone with HIV and get him to talk to us. That, was ne- that wasn't going to happen. So is your, the fact that you're doing this kind of thing symptomatic of like a change in attitude in the education system? Yeah, I mean, my aim tomorrow, basically, to talk to these kids is just, it's just to raise awareness. And actually, like, for me, when I was diagnosed, I didn't have anyone to talk to who was positive. You know what? I run marathons. I go to the gym. I do Tough mothers. It's not a death sentence. Okay, so that was Christian. Um, obviously, I, like, I feel like I learned a lot. Dan probably didn't learn anything because he's read The Velvet Rage. Of course. <laughs> um, and now we're going to go and get on the bus. Yes. Right, so we're now on a bus to central London. Yeah, uh, we're going to meet John Benjamin Hickey. Um, he is 
the uh, he plays Henry Wilcox in a new play, The Inheritance. Yes, which we both saw recently um, at the Knockout Theatre in the West End. All right, this is us. What are you singing? Uh, my chemical romance. Cool, bro. <laughs> right, that bus literally stank of fish. It was revolting. Yeah. Did you smell that? Wait, do we have time to get a coffee first? No, because we're late already. So we're just uh, waiting in the foyer of the rather excellent Noel Coward Theatre um, in central London. And we are about to meet John Benjamin Hickey. You're kind of the daddy of the inheritance, aren't you? Oh, my God. Yes, it's come to that. It has come to that. Um, I remember the first time I read an interview with me and and, and, and I, I'd given and somebody called, said, veteran actor John Benjamin Hickey. And I was like, wow, I'm already a veteran. Oh, that I term. Realize, I know. It's like, but, you know, daddy's better. I like daddy better than veteran. Um, That's what they called you in The Guardian, right? Daddy actor. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I, I hope I don't read reviews, but now I will if they call me daddy actor. No, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy to have that moniker, you know? It's nice to be the older guy. I mean, I do play the part of the generation that this play meditates on is the generation that was, you know, wiped out by the plague and and the play gets deeply into that. And the younger generation of men in their late 20s, early 30s, and kind of who we are to each other. And I crash into the life of the lead character, uh, Eric Glass, played by the brilliant Kyle Soler. And something happens between us that I don't want, no spoilers, but I guess you could refer to me as kind of daddy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Wait, have you not been called that before? Just the gay side of this podcast. It depends on who I'm talking to. Uh, I mean, I, surely on the apps. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not an app guy, but, you know, <laughs> look, I'll take it wherever I can get it these days. Um, Nothing wrong with being a dad. Daddy, is there? Dan and I have both seen The Inheritance, and cool. it's an absolutely inc- incredible. Oh, I'm so yeah. happy. Did you guys all do it in one day? Uh, no, we yeah, did yeah. multiple Oh, scenes. cool. Yeah, because that's yeah. a great way to see it, too. It's, it's, it's an amazing experience, this play. I've never been in something that feels... As much as it feels like this extraordinary and profound work of of dramatic literature and a a great knockout comedy of a play, it also feels like a ride. It feels like as an audience member and as a a person in the play, you feel like you're on a ride. I don't know exactly how to articulate that, but you know what I mean? I I definitely agree. I mean, there's also a lot of riding in the show. (laughs) Yes, there is Um, a lot of But it is a journey of ups and downs, like real life. Um, And you're obviously very passionate about the story in the show yeah um can we talk about that because it's such an important message yeah it's a the play is it's very hard to describe this play um it's a play about this generation the younger generation of gay men in new york city and they're all ambitious and successful and they're uh, a family of young men who belong to each other boyfriends best friends etc and they come into contact with the older generation played by myself and the brilliant Paul Hilton, and it becomes a play about what we owe each other. What is the continuum? What is the line that connects you to the generation that came before you? And what connects the younger generation to that generation? And what do, how do we build our own 
family? How do we build our own Israel, if you will? I think one of the things that upset me the most watching it, or not upset me, but made me very, I think it's really important. I'm I'm just getting emotional now, so I can't speak. (laughs) I think it's really important for everyone to see it because you learn so much that you did not learn. And one of the things that is so devastating about the AIDS crisis and the 80s and the plague, as it was referred to, is that there, there are a very limited number of people from that generation that are still with us. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we were joking about the daddy thing, you know, um, and I'm sort of the daddy of the play. You know, it's really interesting when I think about that, because when I came to New York City in 1983, which is the same year that my character in the play came to New York, I came from Plano, Texas, a small town outside of Dallas. I came to New York and on the cover of Time magazine had already been uh, a cover story on the AIDS epidemic, on the AIDS crisis. It wasn't an epidemic yet. And Madonna. So I came to New York knowing about Madonna and knowing that there was this thing out there. And I was closeted and I was struggling with my sexual identity, but I certainly knew what I wanted and I knew what to stay away from. So I was incredibly fortunate. Um, it's a long way of saying When I got to New York, there wasn't really a daddy thing happening for younger gay guys because that generation was the generation that was being decimated. Did you lose friends during the plague yourself? And did you draw on that for your part? Yes, I lost a very dear friend who was a classmate of mine at Juilliard. I hold him in my heart and think of him to this day. And I think of him every night when I'm doing the play. And I lost others too. But it were it was men a, a few years older than me even who, you know, I have friends who lost everybody, who lost all of their closest friends. And I have had those people in my life come to see the play. And it's a profoundly healing and heartbreaking and hilarious. I can't believe I can throw that word. It, 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 people feel like it's, it's captured that time and place. And one of the reasons why it's captured it so brilliantly is it's kind of not directly about it. It's about now. It's about the world we're living in right now and how the ghosts, the people that we lost in that plague 30 short years ago are standing right next to us are on our shoulders, or we're on their shoulders, as it were. Is there like anyone that stands out that's given you feedback or come to you afterwards and said, God, this made me think of this, or this has helped me because of that? Is there anyone that stood out? My friend Sarah Jessica Parker came to see it. She was, uh, you know, blown away by it. And she said, you know, one of the things that she loved the most, she said, as much as you are fully in the play, you will also get to be friends with the people who are around you because you, you're in the theater. If you come on a Wednesday or Saturday, you're there for the day together. And she said, you make this family. She said, I was holding the man sitting next to me at the end of the first play. She said, I was holding that guy. And I remember thinking, God, that guy must have felt like so lucky. Like I got to see this wonderful play and I also got to be comforted by Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, I mean I was literally just talking about people you've seen writing on Twitter or oh, like okay. not not Sarah Jessica not Parker. Yeah. I didn't expect that at all. I was not ready for that. I thought she was like, oh yeah, this lady came over and said XYZ, but yeah, no, Sarah Jessica yeah. Parker. She she doesn't mind when I drop her name. And if she did mind, she would have dropped me a long time ago because I drop it constantly. Uh, yeah. I will say that I think um this isn't too much of a spoiler, but there is a trigger 
trigger warning for anyone affected by the results of the 2016 American election. <laughs> yeah. Let's name drop again. I was at Sarah Jessica Parker's that night because she <laughs> lives right down the street from me. and uh, Or maybe I live right down the street from her. I think I, I think live down the street. I think so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry to tell you. Sorry. It's always been that way. And uh, I mean, that's a night that none of us will ever forget. I was actually in New York on... You were. Yeah. But you should have come um, over. I should have come over. I was at UCB in Chelsea. Oh, oh, you were right up the street. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now you tell oh, me. God. <laughs> you should have gone on Grindr and searched Daddy. Wow. Um, <laughs> exactly. Do you feel as though the younger generation are aware of HIV and AIDS like they should be? Is it still a problem now? Like, where do you think we're at with it? Because obviously some countries, it's it's not the same as America and yeah. the UK. Let's, but. let's, yeah, let's stay, uh, you know, if I can address that at all, I'm only going to address it in my community because globally AIDS, of course, is still a massive epidemic and uh, you need money and medicine in order to um, combat it. And so many countries, of course, don't have that. And so many people in my country don't have decent health care. So there's that. But, you know, just as far as the kind of the world that I live in and I see in the younger generation, I'm not a doctor and God knows I'm, I'm not an authority. But I, I feel like, you know, the, the idea, the fact that there is, and my character addresses this, this like in, in 20 short years, which seemed like an eternity when you were living through it, because it was an eternity, literally. Your life was cut short. But here we are with um, medicine that can prevent it, that can stop the virus in your bloodstream in its tracks with the whole Truvada and PrEP generation. But to me, because I lived through a big part of it, that doesn't seem like it should be an excuse to do things that are unsafe. I'm sorry. I just think that, first of all, isn't there, isn't it common knowledge that there are a million other STDs or lots of other STDs one can get? So I think one should always, please, God, err on the side of safety and caution and, uh, you know, don't just think with your dick, you know, use your head too. So um, I, we, we, we live in a completely different world and thank God there is that medicine now. Thank God there is... There are preventative measures you can take, but I just don't think that should be a reason to do whatever you want to do. You know, does that make sense? It does. I mean, it's hard for me to hear that because I'm the other end of that. And I think I asked that question because actually I have had unprotected sex and then taken PEP and I'm now on PrEP to stop me doing that again yeah. or making that mistake again because I've taken back some control. But I don't think it's as easy as just Absolutely thinking. Absolutely not. You have to, yeah, I mean, in the heat of the moment, you know, all the truths of of single or, or just gay sex life or straight sex life. It's hard to use your head. I would say it's deeper than that also, without making this about me. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we've explored this in our prep episode that we put out uh, at the end of last year. I feel as though it comes from a place of growing up at the in the hangover of of that crisis and my parents right. saying you know oh you're gay so you're going to die of AIDS yeah. so therefore you kind of have this shame and you sort of think that you kind of deserve it and, and yeah. I don't know if that's true but I certainly think that's what's, what's happened when I've made those decisions previously yeah that's an amazing observation and I, I, I it's a heartbreaking expression but that's a wonderful expression you live in the hangover of a time and there's also the shame of growing up gay and forming an identity that is that is healthy that makes you make 
healthy choices or, or when you're not making healthy choices, have them not based on an internalized homophobia. It's a very, very complicated thing. But, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing more important than, than being healthy. So, yeah, be healthy. <laughs> Use a condom. Well, I, I, we've kind of had a discussion amongst ourselves where, um, I mean, I don't want to take the moral high ground, but I always use condoms. I don't think it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's good. How healthy? It's like, yeah, you have to. I just don't trust anyone. Yeah. <laughs> wrap it up. Yeah. That's basically yeah, the size it, of it. Yeah. It also just, it's, it's a, it, like I was saying, the idea that there is something that you can take that fixes a problem doesn't mean that you should get the problem. You know, I mean, HIV has become a manageable disease, completely different, but not unlike managing diabetes. But that doesn't mean you want to be on the antiviral medication. No. There's a, there, you know, you, you don't want that. You, so, so why not do everything in your power to prevent it happening? I mean, I feel like John's pretty fit. Do you reckon he was into I'm me? not sure that's the t- main takeaway from Oh, okay. Me, to be honest, but... Fine. Let's chat to Matt Kane next. Matt is the former editor-in-chief of Attitude magazine, a gay magazine in the UK. He has also done a lot of articles for Attitude and The Guardian about taking prep and his experiences with that. Uh, he's a really good friend of mine, and he's recently written his new book, The Madonna of Bolton. Cool, let's do it. I started taking PrEP, the pre-exposure drug, the um, anti-HIV prevention drug. I started taking it early last year, so almost, coming up to two years ago. So James says that people are quite like judgmental about people that take it, Um is that, your, is that your experience, Matt? What have people said to you? I first went on it when I was editor-in-chief at Attitude and I was writing a big article for Attitude and The Guardian about it. And when that article appeared, I got so many reactions online from The Guardian thing, more than anything I've ever done in my entire career. And I've been around a long time. <laughs> She's been around the block. And what did they say to you? Well, I had all kinds of reactions. I mean, actually, you can read the comments under the line. I mean, you know, still on the Guardian website, a lot of it is um, what you've talked about before on the podcast, people slut-shaming me. Why should my taxes pay for the NHS to fund this man to be a slut and have bareback sex all over the place? Uh. And um, people would say, why should my taxes pay for you on the NHS? And I'd just say, well, straight people get the contraceptive pill, abortions, you know, IVF. Smoking treatment. Smoking treatment, gastric bans, boob jobs. You know, if every member of society is given the things that are tailored to their needs, you know, you've got smokers on anti-smoking therapies paid for by the NHS. I have no problem with that, but we've got to look at the gay community's needs. We shouldn't be cut out of the picture and made to feel bad. I've had friends say that to me, like, why should I be paying for you to be a slut? A gay friend has said that. It doesn't make any sense. I know, (laughs) but it's because we've been conditioned without realising it to feel sheepish and ashamed of our sexual urges. And bearing in mind, when I grew up in the 1980s, there were such clear associations with being gay, sex, disease and death. So we just had a chat with Jonathan from The Inheritance um, and we were talking all about the age 
LGBTs and the hangover that the gay plague still has uh, on some of the community. There's a lot that's still to be discussed and still to be explored about the impact of the HIV AIDS crisis on the gay community in the 80s and primarily it killed a lot of people and that's you know the headline and quite rightly so but I think what happened was when we started to emerge from it people had been through such a trauma they just wanted to put it behind them and not discuss it anymore and it's great now that um, we're getting things like players like the inheritance discussing it and that it is being discussed more its impact on us as a community. When I was having unprotected sex with men before prep I was making a choice to do that it wasn't oh I was drunk uh, it was oh I'm going to do that because I almost it's almost like a self-harm but you know people may I mean people can be so judgmental can't they people make mistakes and um, and I'll say to straight people you know when they're judging you for not wearing a condom I say have you ever had sex without a condom I know a straight guy I was talking to um, the other day in his late 20s who's never worn a condom and he's had sex with loads of women. De- you know, his default sets. What? Well, he, he sees that, you know, that um, it's just for contraception. The woman will be on the pill or she'll take a morning after pill. I think that is so selfish also. Why is it the woman that has to take the pill? Oh, no, no, exactly, exactly. But it's interesting that when um, gay people have sex without condoms, it's demonised as burbacking, this really incendiary term, and we throw shade at each other for it. With straight people, it's just having sex. That's how they have sex. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. I, I mean, have you ever heard a straight person say, I barebacked her? <laughs> you know, another, another, another straight man have a go at him for not wearing a condom. It just would never happen. I do feel guilty. And I do wonder what someone who died in the 80s from AIDS would say about the current situation. What would they think about prep. There was this slightly golden period after gay liberation had really taken off and was having an effect and before um, the HIV AIDS crisis happened when gay men were able, you know, we were able to meet people easier, other gay men easier and were having a lot of sex and nobody wore condoms because they were for contraception. Why would a gay man wear a condom? And what happened was a lot of them got were infected before they realised what was going on and what the dangers were. So actually when you say what would men in the 80s who died of AIDS have thought, they probably remembered the freedom post-liberation, pre-AIDS of the late 70s. I like to think they would want us to have that or something approaching that. In a way I felt guilty and I've wondered like would they think that was appropriate? Like they died from this horrific, horrific plague and now there's a load of gay men all running around London just having unprotected sex with each other because they're taking prep. Is that disrespectful to what happened to them? I think what's disrespectful is um, having condomless sex and not discussing HIV status, not being tested, and therefore knowing that you may be passing it on. I think that's disrespectful to their memory and what they went through. I think doing the responsible thing, taking prep, being tested so that if you have been infected with HIV, you can get an infective treatment that means you cannot pass it on. Yeah. If everybody does that, I think the people who were horrendously unlucky in the 80s, early 90s would be proud. We're forgetting that there are millions of people affected by HIV and AIDS across the world and in other countries they don't have PrEP or PEP or, or effective and drugs. Or the effective drugs. And yeah, so what is what do we do about that? It's interesting, isn't it? I, I, when I was working at Attitude, I went on an undercover mission to Russia and spent time going around out with HIV activists and I went around saunas and gay clubs and cruising grounds and everything and met all these people. And because 
HIV infection rates are going down, plummeting everywhere across the world, apart from in Eastern Europe and Central Asia, predominantly Russia, where they are on the rise because there's so much ignorance about it. The problem that um, Russians have is because they've got a different alphabet, they don't widely speak English, they can't really access um, the sites that we can access and the information that we can access online. Um, and there's so much misinformation coming out from their government under the anti-gay propaganda law that Putin brought in that um, there's so much misinformation, you know, and um, and it's basically meaning that nobody knows about how to protect themselves and they're being infected and they're also not being tested so they're passing it on and um, people are dying of AIDS in the way that they don't need to anymore and um, the question is what can we do about it what I was going to say was ordinarily by being present, by being visible by talking about these things in public on podcasts like this, online people will get the message in countries where they aren't privileged enough to you know, have the support. access that information or have that support there. But when you're in a country like Russia, when the government and the regime is actively putting up barriers to get that inf- getting that information through... So why, why are they allowing this to happen? The problem in Russia is there's still so much homophobia and there's still so much stigma around being gay that... Um, when they are asked how they contracted HIV, they get labelled with something called a Code 103 if they say it was through sex with a man. That information is passed on to the Ministry of Internal Affairs. They immediately lose their job. Their families ostracise them. They're kicked out of their homes, everything. Everybody I met there had horrendous lives. None of them had mainstream jobs or were functioning members of society in the way that we understand it. And um, they're not self-respecting because they're made to feel so ashamed of who they are. We were told talking about how we could be self-destructive with sex and dangerous sex. I mean, if you think about it in Russia, when people spit at them in the street if they're out, you know, I saw signs in shop windows, in bakery, in a window of a bakery saying, no faggots allowed. How do you feel good about yourself? How can you respect yourself? How can you protect yourself? How can you respect other gay people rather than just being repulsed by them if that's what you're growing up with? How are you going to protect yourself against and other people against HIV. It's just awful. I was really surprised that... Um, I can't remember the exact figures, but the rate of deaths from AIDS-related complications was going up wow. in Russia. Everywhere else in the world, it's plummeting. OK, so, wow. Um, what did you make of all of that, Dan? What's um, that? Well, I, don't I, know. Know. I don't know why you're not speaking. <laughs> I mean, it's been a long day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did you? What, what are the takeaways? I thought the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole day was fascinating. Yeah. Um, one, two, three great people that we chatted to, <laughs> um, all with their own sort of experiences of um, of HIV and how it's affected them, and um, yeah, a lot to take home with. So yeah. Um, and I don't know really how we can conclude this episode, actually. I'm not sure if there's anything we can even say, because as Matt just said, you know, there's so much still to unpack from what happened in the 80s and what is still happening now around the world. Um, I think, I guess, the main thing is that we all need to be very aware that it's still out there and that it's still a thing that we need to be talking about and that there needs to be no shame over. Um, actually, James, I'd quite like to end on this. Um, I was reading uh, over the last couple of days that HIV diagnoses are falling in the UK and we've met the UN target um, on diagnosis, treatment and transmission for the first time. I think um, that shows that the, the PrEP impact trial is potentially working and that people on successful treatment who are unable to pass it on because they're undetectable... Um, 
is helping too. And we're in a really good place. We're hopefully in this country winning the fight. But there's still a lot to do and we still need to think of those that are less fortunate than ourselves. 92% of people living with HIV infection in the UK are being diagnosed. 98% of people who are being diagnosed are receiving treatment. And 97% of people receiving treatment are being left unable to pass on the infection. That's incredible. That's, that would have been unheard of not that long ago. Yeah. If you've been affected by any of the issues in today's episode. <laughs> yeah. If you want to find out more about HIV um, and AIDS and the need for better sex education and prep, then visit the Terence Higgins Trust. In the US, you can get in touch with Greater Than AIDS. And if you'd like to get hold of prep for yourself, you can go to iwantprepnow.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Look after yourself.